Section 6 of the Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 1B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, Volume 1B, Part 3. Chapter 6. The Confederate Cabinet. After being inaugurated, I proceeded to the formation of my cabinet, that is, the heads of the executive departments authorized by the laws of the Provisional Congress. The unanimity existing among our people made this a much easier and more agreeable task than where the rivalries in the party of an executive have to be consulted and accommodated often at the expense of highest capacity and fitness unencumbered by any other considerations than the public welfare having no friends to reward or enemies to punish it resulted that not one of those who formed my first cabinet had borne to me the relation of close personal friendship or had political claims upon me indeed with two of them i had no previous acquaintance it was my wish that the hon robert w barnwell of south carolina should be secretary of state i had known him intimately during a trying period of our joint service in the united states senate and he had won alike my esteem and regard before making known to him my wish in this connection the delegation of south carolina of which he was a member had resolved to recommend one of their number to be secretary of the treasury and mr barnwell with characteristic delicacy declined to accept my offer to him i had intended to offer the treasury department to mr toombs of georgia whose knowledge on subjects of finance had particularly attracted my notice when we served together in the united states senate mr barnwell having declined the state department and a colleague of his said to be particularly qualified for the treasury department having been recommended for it mr toombs was offered the state department for which others believed him to be well qualified mr mallory of florida had been chairman of the committee on naval affairs in the united states senate was extensively acquainted with the officers of the navy and for a landsman had much knowledge of nautical affairs therefore he was selected for secretary of the navy mr benjamin of louisiana had a very high reputation as a lawyer and my acquaintance with him in the senate had impressed me with the lucidity of his intellect his systematic habits and capacity for labor he was therefore invited to the post of attorney general mr reagan of texas i had known for a sturdy honest representative in the united states congress and his acquaintance with the territory included in the confederate states was both extensive and accurate these together with his industry and ability to labor indicated him as peculiarly fit for the office of postmaster general mr memminger of south carolina 
had a high reputation for knowledge of finance he bore an unimpeachable character for integrity and close attention to duties and on the recommendation of the delegation from south carolina he was appointed secretary of the treasury and proved himself entirely worthy of the trust mr walker of alabama was a distinguished member of the bar of north alabama and was eminent among the politicians of that section he was earnestly recommended by gentlemen intimately and favorably known to me and was therefore selected for the war department his was the only name presented from alabama the executive departments having been organized my attention was first directed to preparation for military defense for though i in common with others desired to have a peaceful separation and sent commissioners to the united states government to effect if possible negotiations to that end i did not hold the common opinion that we would be allowed to depart in peace and therefore regarded it as an imperative duty to make all possible preparation for the contingency of war end of chapter six chapter seven early acts of the confederate congress laws of the united states continued in force officers of customs and revenue continued in office commission to the united states navigation of the mississippi restrictions on the coasting trade removed appointment of commissioners to washington the legislation of the confederate congress furnishes the best evidence of the temper and spirit which prevailed in the organization of the confederate government the very first enactment made on the ninth of february eighteen sixty one the day after the adoption of the provisional constitution was this quote, that all the laws of the united states of america in force and in use in the confederate states of america on the first day of november last and not inconsistent with the constitution of the confederate states be and the same are hereby continued in force until altered or repealed by the congress End quote. The next act, adopted on the 14th of February, was one continuing in office until the 1st of April next, ensuing all officers connected with the collection of customs and the assistant treasurers entrusted with the keeping of the monies arising therefrom, who were engaged in the performance of such duties within any of the Confederate States with the same powers and functions which they had been exercising under the government of the united states the provisional constitution itself in the second section of its sixth article had ordained as follows quote, the government hereby instituted shall take immediate steps for the settlement of all matters between the states forming it and their other late confederates of the united states in relation to the public property and public debt at the time of their withdrawal from them these states hereby declaring it to be their wish and earnest desire to adjust everything pertaining to the common property common liabilities and common obligations of that union 
upon the principles of right, justice, equity, and good faith. End quote. In accordance with this requirement of the Constitution, the Congress, on the 15th of February, before my arrival at Montgomery, passed a resolution declaring, quote, that it is the sense of this Congress that a commission of three persons be appointed by the President-elect as early as may be convenient after his inauguration and sent to the Government of the United States of America for the purpose of negotiating friendly relations between that Government and the Confederate States of America and for the settlement of all questions of disagreement between the two governments upon principles of right, justice, equity, and good faith. End quote. Persistent, and to a great extent, successful efforts were made to inflame the minds of the people of the northwestern states by representing to them that, in consequence of the separation of the states, they would lose the free navigation of the Mississippi River. At that early period in the life of the Confederacy, the intercourse between the North and South had been so little interrupted that the agitators, whose vocation it was to deceive the masses of the people, could not or should not have been ignorant that, as early as the 25th of February, 1861, an act was passed by the Confederate Congress and approved by the President Quote, to declare and establish the free navigation of the Mississippi River. End quote. The act began with the announcement that quote, the peaceful navigation of the Mississippi River is hereby declared free to the citizens of any of the states upon its borders, or upon the borders of its navigable tributaries, end quote. and its provisions secure that freedom for all ships, boats, or vessels with their cargoes without any duty or hindrance except light money, pilotage, and other like charges. By an act approved on the 26th of February, all laws which forbade the employment in the coasting trade of vessels not enrolled or licensed, and all laws imposing discriminating duties on foreign vessels or goods imported in them, were repealed. These acts and all other indications manifest the well-known wish of the people of the Confederacy to preserve the peace and encourage the most unrestricted commerce with all nations, surely not least with their late associates, the northern states. Thus far the hope that peace might be maintained was predominant. Perhaps the wish was father to the thought that there would be no war between the states lately united. Indeed, all the laws enacted during the first session of the Provisional Congress show how consistent were the purposes and actions of its members with their original avowal of a desire peacefully to separate from those with whom they could not live in tranquility, albeit the government had been established to promote the common welfare. Under this state of feeling, the government of the Confederacy was instituted. My own views and inclinations, as has already been fully shown, were in entire accord with the disposition manifested by the requirement of the Provisional Constitution and the resolution of the Congress above recited 
for the appointment of a commission to negotiate friendly relations with the united states and an equitable and peaceable settlement of all questions which would necessarily arise under the new relations of the states toward one another next to the organization of a cabinet that of such a commission was accordingly one of the very first objects of attention three discreet well-informed and distinguished citizens were selected as said commissioners and accredited to the president of the northern states mr lincoln to the end that by negotiation all questions between the two governments might be so adjusted as to avoid war and perpetuate the kind relations which had been cemented by the common trials sacrifices and glories of the people of all the states if sectional hostility had been engendered by dissimilarity of institutions and by a mistaken idea of moral responsibilities and by irreconcilable creeds if the family could no longer live and grow harmoniously together by patriarchal teaching older than christianity it might have been learned that it was better to part to part peaceably and to continue from one to another the good offices of neighbors who by sacred memories were forbidden ever to be foes the nomination of the members of the commission was made on the twenty fifth of february within a week after my inauguration and confirmed by congress on the same day the commissioners appointed were messrs a b roman of louisiana martin j crawford of georgia and john forsyth of alabama mr roman was an honored citizen and had been governor of his native state mr crawford had served with distinction in congress for several years mr forsyth was an influential journalist and had been ministered to Mexico under appointment of Mr. Pierce, near the close of his term, and continued so under that of Mr. Buckhannon. These gentlemen, moreover, represented the three great parties which had ineffectually opposed the sectionalism of the so-called Republicans. Ex-Governor Roman had been a Whig in former years, and one of the Constitutional Union, or Bell and Everett, party in the canvass of 1860. Mr. Crawford, as a state rights Democrat, had supported Mr. Breckinridge, and Mr. Forsyth had been a zealous advocate of the claims of Mr. Douglas. The composition of the commission was therefore such as should have conciliated the sympathy and cooperation of every element of conservatism with which they might have occasion to deal their commissions authorized and empowered them in the name of the confederate states to meet and confer with any person or persons duly authorized by the government of the united states being furnished with like power and authority and with him or them to agree treat consult and negotiate concerning all matters in which the parties were both interested no secret instructions were given them for there was nothing to conceal the objects of their mission were open and avowed and its inception and conduct throughout 
were characterized by frankness and good faith how this effort was received how the commissioners were kept waiting and while fair promises were held to the ear how military preparations were pushed forward for the unconstitutional criminal purpose of coercing states let the shameful record of that transaction attest end of chapter seven recording by bill mosley llano county texas usa